We're so excited to have Holly, aka the Badly Behaved Mum, on the first series of the Mama Magic podcast brought to you by the Glow Mama Award. The Glow Mama Award is the first People's Choice Award celebrating the achievements of mothers on social media. Starting in the UK, Glow Mama is a global movement celebrating motherhood and amplifying our unique stories in the digital age. We are proud to bring exclusive, off-the-grid content exploring Glow Mama finalists and winners' unique journeys and experiences of motherhood. Get to know the mamas off the grid without the filters, reels music in the background. Raw and honest conversations with the mamas that we follow on the grid. You were nominated for Funniest Mama. Tell us how that made you feel. My whole life I've been ginger. I've had a wonky eye. I've gone up and down with my weight. Um, I was never the prettiest. I was never the sportiest. And I just got, all I ever had was my humour. All I had, you know, um, I wasn't like the class clown. So I don't, I don't know. You know, when you look back when people ask you that question, like, oh, were you the class clown? I don't think I was because I wasn't intentionally funny. But I was very quick-witted. Do you know what I mean? And so yeah. I had a situation and, you know, it could be the worst situation ever. And I'd be like, oh, God, how can I make people laugh? <laughs> yeah. That's what I love to do. I love to make people laugh. But that was never my goal of why I started this Instagram. It was never ever to be, you know, a comedian or someone who does like skits. It was actually because I was so fed up of going onto Instagram as a new mum. And I did, you know, I didn't have a perfect house. I lived in my granny's house in a three-bedroom flat just not three I don't know that now in a three-bedroom house you know a council house and my house didn't look like everyone else's and my child wasn't dressed you know in neutral colours we wore colours because that's all I could afford my buggy was second hand and I didn't have a brand new buggy and I was just so sick and tired of people creating not that it was fake but it just felt fake to me because nobody I knew was looking yeah. like that um and as I was writing I realized I was quite funny in my writing. So now I'm like, oh, funny. <laughs> no, but that is so good. And I really like what you say about that because it's about, you know, social media, we all talk about the ills of social media and we know that. Um, but it can also be used for good and humor, especially being a new mum or even a mum just in your motherhood journey, it's so important. Um, and I think that ability to make people laugh in in times of of sadness or times of weakness it is such an empowering tool. And I love the fact that you're just talking about just basically you needed to see yourself. You needed to see a community of mothers that you could relate to. And when you didn't see that, you were like, you know what, I'm going to start showing up as myself on social media. And now you've got, what, 24, 5,000 plus. Followers. When I first started, it was I'm not a regular mum. That was in okay. 2017. And again, that was very much more on the mental health. It was more, not everyone, you know, has an aesthetic house. I live with my deaf granny. Really what it was for me, it was just talking to other mums being like, look, not all of us have a lovely new build. I've got a 2012 play Astra that's got dents mm -hmm. in it. There's more of us than there is actually of them. And there's nothing towards, you know, them people who have, they've worked hard for it and I respect that. But I just felt like at the time there wasn't kind of this whole normalised mum thing. Like we see yeah. now, we see a lot more of it. And it's amazing. Yeah. This whole community of women who, you know, like Katie, who was up for Best TikTok. Yeah, so when I first started, I really didn't want to tell people. It's kind of more that I found other mums online because I didn't want my friends and family finding it. So I, I also had the fear of, well, what if someone sees what I've written in my humour and takes it as, well, oh, she must neglect her children because she's talking about how she just let him go feral without stuff. And no one actually says that stuff out loud. It's all the stuff we're thinking, you know, when people are like, oh, yeah, my child's so good when I go shopping. You're like, really? What? What are you giving them? <laughs> Mine's just shit all over the floor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there was a few times I was like, do I really want to do this? And I was like, no, because I get a lot of women with my 100 followers. Um, and I was like, no, you know, people can relate to me. It makes them feel better. It makes me feel better. 
um, and then I was coming on the following started growing and I was like do you know what I'm a good mum I'm just talking about the stuff nobody else wants to talk about because as women we are programmed to believe that you you know once you have kids you are a mum that's it you're just a mum you can't do anything else with your life you can't talk about you know some days you hate being a mum no one ever says that because we've been programmed not by you know our generations but our mother's generations their generations that once you become a mum that's it that's your life's done you are mum that's it for you and I feel like our generation maybe a bit before have thought in this thing of no I'm not mum I'm Holly I'm Agnes I'm so much more than just mum my life hasn't stopped because I've become a mum my children work around me that you know when I say that a lot of people are like what, what do you mean your children work about around you and I'm like well they have to because our life can't just always be routine that doesn't work for us and and I, and I think that that's what I always say about the glow mama like I would rather my children have 95% of a best version of me because I've got that 5% or 10% that I've poured into myself to help myself glow than have 100% of the worst version of me because I'm so exhausted I'm not showing up as my best self you know that means I'm irritable I'm you know Actually, my, my kids are probably saying I can get irritable a bit now anyway. What I'm getting from what you're saying is about making sure that you've poured into you, right, so that you can give the best version of yourself to your to your um, family. And that doesn't mean that um, you're a bad mum for doing that. It doesn't mean you, you should be allowed to. And, have, and, you know, we shouldn't even be asking for permission for this. It should be like... You know, we should be able to glow and nourish and make sure we're glowing inside so that our children grow up seeing a happy mum. And I think that's the main thing. When they see a happy mum, they're going to feel happy. Obviously, I've got two boys. I want my boys to grow up and not expect, you know, whether they have a wife or a husband or whatever. I don't expect the per I don't expect them to think of that person. Well, you've had my kids now. That's it. That's your life. You can't go out. You can't dress like that anymore. You can't do this. You can't do that because... I don't want that for my kids. I want my kids to grow up and see, you know, a mum, okay, maybe I won't change the world, but I'll change some kind of stigma. And I want them to be proud to be like, you know, my mum never gave a shit. She never gave a shit. Um, okay, she wasn't, you know, the most organised mum. She wasn't, you know, that PTA mum. But she stood up for what she believed was right. And what I believe is right is, you know, I wasn't a regular mum. So you started your platform in, in, in 2017 and you said that around the COVID pandemic, that was when things, you know, your platform grew quickly. So be before the pandemic, how many followers would you say you had? Um, I think before the pandemic, I was around 700. And to me, that was like mega. because Massive, yeah, of course. Three years to get this far. And I was like, oh my God, like, is this how it feels to be Insta-famous? <laughs> so you went from 700 followers at the beginning of the pandemic and in literally two years to over 24,000 followers why do you think that is I think so I started posting a lot about you know being heavily pregnant in a pandemic and talking about how hard it was to be just not even pregnant in a pandemic but a mum and you know I started showing more to the I was sitting outside when we had that heat wave with my belly out here and I was going <laughs> like that because that's just how I felt. I was stuck in my garden in a flat, heavily pregnant with my three-year-olds and I was just like, there's nothing about me. There is nothing glowing. There is nothing enjoyable about, about this pregnancy. Um, and then I think one of like the baby, I feel like bouncers so picked up on it and they shared it. And I remember I was at the zoo and my following just went up and I was like, what is happening oh my god and then it just started to grow a bit over time and then obviously Ralphie had his accident in August and I think that brought a lot of followers in and a lot of people said you know I've followed you from the accident and I've just stayed because you're like me or people have been like I've found you from one of your reels um and I love you because I can relate to you and I think that a lot of people can relate to a normal girl from a council estate you know, it's had two kids and people are actually, I get it. <laughs> I get it. I get it. And let's talk about that because that was one of the topics I really wanted to, to speak about, about your son. Take us back to August 
2021, I believe the son was, it was the month he was about to be one year old. Like, talk me through that month. Fast forward to August, the day before his first birthday, um, I literally went from planning his first birthday to planning his funeral. I did not know if I was coming home with my child. I did not know if I was going home alone. Um, so obviously Ralphie swallowed a button battery on the day before his first birthday. And what that done to him is so with button batteries, as soon as they hit the saliva, it causes a chemical reaction, which is the same as like oven cleaner. And you know how strong oven cleaner is, Any, anything like that. If you put it on your skin, your skin's going to burn away. So you can only imagine what that does to your inside. So what happened to Ralphie and what happens to most children is it gets stuck here, um, which means it blocks the airways, it blocks anything coming in or out. So obviously we went to hospital. They were like, no, he's fine. He's just swallowed something sharp, sent us home. I went to work, came back. And I was like, oh, I'm sure he'll be fine. I'm just going to go check on him. And he woke up and I was like, I'm really not happy. Called 999, got taken back to hospital. They'd done an x-ray. And they all looked at each other like this. And they went, oh, did they? Did he have anything left in him after his open heart surgery? And I said, no. And they showed me the x-ray and everyone's face just went. Just, and I was like, okay. And then they were like, it's fine, it's fine, don't worry. Next to I heard major trauma, major trauma. And I was like, didn't realize it was just for Ralphie and the next thing I know we're talking about going to Chelsea and Westminster we're talking about getting an air ambulance it's they're always they're talking to me no one's actually explaining what's happening next thing six o'clock in the morning we've been transferred across the country to Cambridgeshire um I've got surgeons in my face and I need to sign papers that he swallowed a button battery if they do not do surgery now he is going to die within minutes um what it was literally, I just went from thinking it was Connect Four to your son is about to die if we do not take him now. Um, and can I just say, you already went to the hospital the first time around. So when you went to the hospital, did they not do any x-rays the first time? And she went, oh no, he's fine. And she said, I've done a metal detector and nothing's come up. Um, and that was that sent us on our way. Um, so fast forward, you're there getting told to sign papers and obviously you're, you swallowed a button battery. You probably didn't know at the time the significance of what a button battery can do or did you? was you aware of? So I've worked in childcare, you know, I was a nanny, then I worked in nursery. So I've always known about them. So I don't have them in my house. And when they were going to me, is it a button battery? I was going, no, I don't have them in my house. And I said, when I tried, because obviously I saw him swallow it, I just didn't see him swallow something and go like that and make a funny face and we yeah. brown cheerios around the house but we don't question it it just does it <laughs> so oh he's found a moldy cheerio or something like that it was only when he started projectile vomit in the black blood that's when i was like right we need to go to hospital something's not right um you know had his symptoms not have been so quickly god forbid what could have happened to him and it's only because i went back a second time so something in my gut was telling me something's not right he needs to go to hospital again and, you know if it wasn't the second time around them going let's do an x-ray had they just done an x-ray the first time the damage could have been so minimal you know our lives wouldn't have changed overnight he we would have been in hospital for three weeks it might have been three days but this is what i mean by trusting your mum's instinct as well had i not trusted mine and i just agreed with them like you know maybe a lot of people would do because you trust them you know they're these people are professionals they've trained for seven years and you're going to put everything in them and go yes I trust you you've told me he's fine I'm going to take him home do you know what I mean so I love the NHS the NHS saved his life they are overworked they're underfunded I have the most utmost respect for them but I cannot stress this enough to people trust your instinct do not take no for an answer if you think it's a button battery say it's a button battery even if you don't think it is there's a chance it could be say it because they'll do the x-ray like that and so where did the button battery come um come from i know you said that you don't have them in in, in your house um where, where did you i wasn't aware of the dangers so i had a box under the bed for albie's old toys that i was getting out for ralphie for his first birthday because i was like i'm not buying him new toys he can have under <laughs> next to the box where the toys were so we think it came from one of Albie's old toys and it was just, he was sitting next to them, you know, 
is shiny, he's going to pick it up. Um, and I literally said, I said, just throw the box away. I don't want to see it. I don't want to know where it came from. I just want it gone before I'm home. So, you know, no one in the house checked. They all came, all the family came around. They cleared the house out because I was like, I cannot face that right now. And in hindsight, I kind of wish I asked because I could put more awareness out there about what toy it was. But yeah. again, years ago, I didn't know the awareness. There wasn't anything about it. Whereas now, it's there. And what was the difference, if you don't mind me asking? So you said you went to the hospital the first time. Obviously, you came home, you went to work, came back later on. And so this is probably like within 24 hours. What would that 24 hours, what would that, if you if it had been detected earlier, what difference would it have made? And then what happened because it was delayed? So he swallowed it around 12 o'clock. I got into hospital by one o'clock. By the time they could have done the x-ray, you know, half one, it took two hours. That could have been out of him by four o'clock. The damage would have been, okay, it would have been bad because that's what button batteries do. They, as soon as they hit saliva, that's it. You know, the chemical reaction starts. It can happen within two hours to 10 minutes. But had we have got there sooner, you know, maybe we wouldn't have been in hospital for three weeks. Maybe he wouldn't have been tube fed. Maybe he, you know, it would have been a quick in and out job, but it wasn't, you know. The damage was irreversible. And although he's okay at the moment, who's saying 10 years down the line, he won't have some side effects where his windpipe might not grow, you know, for the rest of his life. We've been discharged, but that's not to say in the future, you know, acid reflux, heartburn, problem, you know, it could cause anything. But because they don't know enough evidence with button batteries they can't say right this is going to happen to him every single child that's swallowed a button battery has had reaction so you know so we got there and I said one one ish by the time I went back it was nine o'clock at night so by the time it actually came out of him it's almost been in in 24 hours I'm just so happy that you actually were able to go back to the hospital the second time and as you said trust your mum instinct um, and that all happened during the pandemic. There's one thing, you're there fighting to save your son's life. You're there fighting to be like, look, COVID test or no COVID test, I need my son to, I need this now. Like, we're not going to, you're doing all of that. But then where there was no support for Holly. Like, you know, you were experiencing all of this during a pandemic. You know, as you said, like, you know, your partner can come there and, and give you a cuddle. So I just wanted to explore that a little bit more because, you know, as we're coming out of the pandemic, hopefully we don't see another one in our lifetime. I think it's really important for listeners to understand what it was like during that time, what, what it's like, you know, when you're fighting for your son's life in a pandemic. And I'd really like to, you know, I think there's so many um, of our listeners that will be listening that will, will be able to relate, whether that would be giving birth during a pandemic or not being able to visit an elderly person at a care home or, you know, those same feelings of, feeling like you don't have that support and actually something else is more important than the actual key emergency at hand. And I think that's the thing, regardless of what, you know, what your trauma was, we can all relate in some way, especially during a pandemic, whether it was not being able to see Nanny Grandad for the last time, you know, giving birth alone or, you know, your child just needing to go to hospital because they've got a bit of a fever that won't come down. Something that was so normal to us before, you know, going there as a family because it you know in a and e rooms they get hot the kids are driving you mad and it's just to go can i just go get a cup of tea that's all you need sometimes and i didn't have that not that you know this wasn't about me this was about my son dying and the more important thing to everybody was a covid test and that's why i got so frustrated not with the nhs but the rules that were in place because i just thought he's not going to die from covid not right now but he's going to die as your surgeons have just told me, if you don't get this button battery out, he's going to die. Um, so I did, I lost it with her because I just thought, is this what we've come to? That something that's not, you know, I really don't like getting politi political on this because it does, you know, really divides, divides people. But when it's your child and you can see your child deteriorating and you know, that there's going to be two outcomes of this, your child's going to live, your child's going to die. 
that that was the most important thing to them. And it wasn't the most important thing to me. And I'm, I, I'm so sad, you know, that so many people died from COVID. But at that moment in time, COVID was not my priority. And it should have been theirs. I think anybody listening in, if you're in a situation where your child's life is at risk there and then, of course, I think anybody will be able to relate or understand is that if they haven't been in that situation, that your priority at that moment, at that immediate moment, is going to be your baby. Um, and I don't think you even need to justify or put a caveat on that. You know, as a mum of three, I'm putting myself in your situation. I'm imagining that somebody's told me that if we don't do something now, your child's going to die. And they've already had a test for COVID. And then you're fluffing around with it for the second time. And, I've, and I'm thinking I've got minutes or seconds, you know, because obviously, you know, thank God we're talking to you now. And it's a testimony, you know. He made it, like, and we're celebrating his life. But in that immediate moment, that is not what you're looking at. You're looking at the reality as a mama bear that I need to fight for my child. And right now, this is what is important for my child. And I think, you know, I got a lot of shit after, you know, the articles came out, after I'd done that post, um, I'd done a video. Um, Could you explain about the video? So I done a video basically about what happened to Ralphie, um, and I think it hit almost a million views. It went viral with it. I woke up and it was literally everywhere. I had the press contacting me. It literally went from you know just my few hundred, you know, a couple of thousand followers to overnight it just went crazy. You know, celebrities were sharing it, and I was like, oh my god, like. This is this is amazing because this is bringing the awareness I wanted to, but the shit that came with it, you know, was awful. And it's not just happened to me. There's um, a little girl Harper Lee who died last June. Um, her mum has been a victim of trolling as well recently because obviously Harper Lee passed away from a button battery. Um, and I just couldn't believe that there's actually people out there who. Okay, yeah, we might all have our opinions in our heads and most people keep them to themselves. So, you know, they talk about it in their WhatsApp group. But there was actually people, you know, talking about me on forums, talking about me on, you know, newspaper articles, Facebook, Twitter. It, I just couldn't believe that people can take something that I've done that I felt was amazing. You know, I've gone from my child di almost dying, you know, to I've saved him, the NHS have saved him. So, right, I need to do something about this, make sure this doesn't happen to anybody else to... People actually trolling me, saying he deserved to die. Um, I deserve to have him taken off me. Um, social service should be called. And to actually see it as well as a mum whose child has died, I'm like, oh, my God. I can really now see why people said to me, don't be so honest on Instagram, because, yes, majority of people might like it, but there is that tiny, tiny minority who don't. And sadly, we have to deal with it. And I think that's a really important point that you've said there because it's like you've became a product of your own success and you've been out there, you're raising awareness. I mean, I can't think of anything worse than being in a situation where you nearly lose your child or you lose your child. And, you know, you found the strength to use that experience to inform, empower, educate um, others so that they're not, you know, in in, in in that kind of situation. As you said, you know, you're a nanny, like you've, you, 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 you know, in your previous um, work environment, you've been a nanny, you've worked within the childcare. So you're someone who, you're a mum, but you're actually very qualified mm. in this space. And with all of that, it's happened yeah. to you. So actually your voice and you being able to then advocate and inform and empower and say, look, you know what? It must've been from a toy that you know you, you had from um from, from one of your kids making sure that people are ultra aware um and, and clued up on that the fact that we're living in a society where now because you're more visible people thought they can sit behind their screens and attack you um i feel like that's such an unfortunate side effect of the current world that we yeah. live in now with like social media. You know, I'm passionate about social media, as you know, with the Glow Mama Awards and celebrating and, and trying to focus on the positive. Um, but hearing that somebody can actually type and say to you that your son should have 
I can't even say the last part. You obviously already said it, but yeah, it's just um, it's 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 unforgivable. And I think um, you know, I know that you know, but I just want to be able to say that that you've done the right thing. Yeah. You know, and we're not gonna let that glow. Mama is all about glowing up. We're not going to let you know the few dull your glow. Like I always said, I was the perfect parent until I had kids. I was the perfect parent until I had my own kids because I worked with kids. I was like, I know what I'm doing. It can't be that hard. Having a child at 21, you know, 21, 22, it's not like, you know, when you're doing a nine to five working with these kids, it is so different. And, you know, I don't know if these people are parents. I don't know if they know me. I don't really care because I still sleep at night. <laughs> I still go to sleep at night. They're up talking about me. Main character. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean so I was a perfect parent and I used to you know co- not comment but I would very I would judge people easily on their parenting we all did we all did listen before <laughs> I had these kids I said no iPads yeah I've got a couple around the house and my PlayStation in his room at the moment <laughs> I said no TV I said no TV yeah not at all like full stop like we've all said it before we yeah. had kids there's a whole long list of things that, that we're all guilty of saying. And I said, my child will never do a tantrum in supermarkets. So, like, look at those children. And at the end of the day, when <laughs> you become a parent, you learn humility. You learn humility. You do. It humbles you actually becoming a parent because you go from looking at them and as they're like, oh, can you control your children? I'm trying to do my food shop. And then it's your kids. Maybe not everyone's kids, but mine would have, oh. okay, he would shit on the floor. <laughs> Not on purpose, it would just come out of him everywhere. And I'd be like, oh, or you know, he'd just start throwing stuff at me, and I'd be like, you know, we just have one tear dropping down, like, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you, I get this eye that twitches, and I'm like, <laughs> or you'd see something, and I'd be like, hey, how are you? And I'm like, I'm good, I'm really good. I know that. Help me. Help. <laughs> That's, I mean, you know. You know, it's so easy to judge people from what they post online, and I'm still guilty of doing it now. And I, it, no one does it on purpose, you know. None of us look at someone and go, <laughs> "You just you, subliminally, you just think, oh, I'm sick and tired of seeing your face." But I would, you know, I'd never message someone and be like, "I'm sick and tired of seeing your face. I'm sick and tired of seeing your perfect house." You wouldn't do it. You talk about your friends in the WhatsApp group like a normal person does. You know, you don't go on to, I'm not even going to mention the name of this forum. You don't go onto a forum and start talking about people you don't know and all talking about this one person you don't like. And I know they say, you know, uh, enemy of your enemy is a friend. That That's great. But before, we just used to bitch about people behind their back. And I've always said, what people say behind your back is none of your business. Yeah. And it isn't. But when it's, in front of you and you know you've got 12 15 20 pages of people who you don't know on an anonymous forum you know saying they're going to find social services on you saying you don't deserve your kids saying they hope you die picking every little flaw maybe that you didn't notice or you know your weight how you look how you parent and you're like is it is this worth it is it really worth making others feel better and making myself feel better for people to talk about me this way you know and when when I was in hospital Ralph you know I had a few messages like Holly I really think you should come off Instagram I really think you should stop posting um you're really putting yourself at risk because there's not very nice stuff being said about you and I was like well it can't be that bad it wasn't until I had people look for me and it was that bad you know and you kind of think where is the humanity that Okay, yes, I'm on Instagram while my son is in hospital, but what am I meant to do? Sit at him 24 hours looking at him in that cot, you know, stuck to a feeding tube. That Instagram, you know, going on Instagram was my kind of hideaway while I was in hospital for 24 hours with my son, seven days a week for three weeks. That was my getaway, was being on there, talking to people, you know, raising awareness and just finding that little bit of humour that I still had left and kept me going. And... I won't say it hurt because that would give them power. But, you know, it wasn't nice when I was posting that. I was second, like, oh my God, do I, should I post that? Should I delete it? Do, is that the right thing to post? Because I never had that before. I never, 
had that fear of what people thought of me until it, until I knew there was that many people talking about me. Um, yeah, I I I, I, can't, I completely I can't say I understand because I've, I've my followers are still somewhere <laughs> around a thousand. <laughs> I, I don't I don't have your followers problems, um, but I can definitely empathise because um, you know for me. I always talk about the story of Glow Mama and how Glow Mama started as a breastfeeding mum that couldn't get out of the house, um, even to take up my children. It was such a, you know, my mental health was really struggling at that time. And being able to plug into social media at the time and connect with other mums, it doesn't mean I wasn't looking after my kids. You know, sometimes yeah. they're falling asleep and I can't even move because I'm holding the baby. And if I just move one little bit, the eye's going to be open, they're going to start crying again. But what I could do was hold the phone in my hand mm. whilst they're asleep and, you know, connect with other mums and, you know, create a network. So when you're sharing your story in terms of how you were on social media in hospital, I completely can relate to that, obviously in different circumstances, but you're there for 24 hours. You're not also compounded by the fact, fact that you're not even allowed visitors. You're not allowed anybody there to console you, to hug you, to talk to you, to see you. Um, you know, your child is there 24 hours. Obviously, your baby's having to sleep at times and, you know, they, they, there's not much you can do at certain stages. And actually, when we look at that, and I said that at the Glow Mama Awards, social media can be, when used correctly, is like peer-to-peer -peer support. Being able to go out there and speak about your story and connect with other people and find a community of people who've also got, gone through or going through yeah. what you're or through, what that going through what you're also going through. Sorry, I'm so passionate about this. <laughs> I, My know, words are not I, like, out. I get, I get like, I don't get angry, but I get like the it, vein in my head. The vein, out, like, exactly. It's twitching at no, me man. now. I'll start twitching. But I can really understand. I'm just visualizing you in that room with tubes, you know, yeah. in and out of your son. And at times, you know, you can't do anything. You're waiting for him to wake up, or you know, you're waiting to see when he's going to be fed again. And you're literally on that chair. You haven't got anyone there to cuddle you. You haven't got anyone there to console yeah. you. And then you've used Instagram or social media, whichever social media platform that you have as your escapism in that moment because you're not on there for 24 hours and then people misconstruing or you know yeah misconstruing what that moment is and not really taking yeah. a step back to understand and I think yeah I, I think that's really 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 sad but what I am proud of as you said is how you've kept on moving and you've you've used all that different adversity to keep on moving that like you've used that as your as if I to not stop but keep showing up authentically. And I think for that there, you know, hats off to you. Thank you. You know, it was, there was times and there were some very dark moments, you know, when I went from having a fully weaned one-year-old to tube feeding him 24 hours a day. And I think because, you know, I would post, oh, he's been tube for 24 hours a day. People thought that meant like holding his tube for 24 hours a day. And this is what I mean by social media. Social media is an amazing thing. You know, I've I've built a brunch club just from social media itself because I'm like, oh, I want to go to a brunch where I can be myself or, you know, talking about my bipolar, talking about my my P, um, PND, so many things. But people just take what they want and they're like, right, I'm going to take that and she's a shit mum. And, that, and that's the worst thing about it is there is a tiny minority but you could have a thousand amazing messages a day and that one could ruin your day. And it, it's not right because I'm a bit, you know, I'm such a positive person. I take the worst situations and make the best out of them. Like what I've done with Ralphie. I thought, what is sitting in this room going to do? If I sit here crying, that's not going to change anything. It's not going to make a difference. I can make a difference with my big gob. Ralphie doesn't have one yet. I emphasize on the yet. How old is now? Do you know what I mean? So I've got this one-year-old who, guess when he's older, he can do whatever he wants with this. But for now, I'm going to use my voice and make a change. I know it's really important. Um, 
I know you've spoken about mental health and PND and bipolar, and that's actually the next topic we're going to go into. But before we go in, in into that, um, you mentioned the Harper Lee campaign, and there's going to be so many people who are listening in right now that are not aware of the Harper Lee campaign. Um, could you talk a little bit more? I know you did like mention it a bit, but just yeah. for those viewers um, that are in a little bit about you know, the story and about the campaign and even what they can do potentially to support if there is anything that they can do. Absolutely. So obviously Harper Lee is a little girl who died in June last year, two months before Ralphie. Um, and she sadly died from swallowing a button battery. And I think of all the stories, hers really affected me the most. It took me months to read after only because that that could have been us. And like I said you know even her poor mum the last couple of weeks has had so much trolling you know people making fake accounts of Harper Lee I won't say what they've written but it you know as a grieving mother even as a mother myself I wouldn't want to see that um so yeah so her mum has an amazing thing she started a petition to change laws around button batteries um how they're used what they're used in um, the coating around them, you know, Stacey has done incredible things in Harper Lee's name. So there is a petition at the moment called the Harper Lee um, Button Battery Petition and the Harper Lee Foundation, which quite a lot of MPs are involved in. But we need to get to 100,000 signatures to even get anything done. Um, so I think we're at eight and a half thousand now. So we've still got a long way to go. But I think when we get to 10,000, it will be discussed in parliament don't quote me on that um so yes yeah, so if people go and sign it you know just so even if we can just get it mentioned you know we can't we can't ban button batteries that's not something we can do you know we need them in hearing aids car keys so many things but things like toys if they're in toys they need to come with warning signs they need to come with signs and symptoms they need to be screwed into the point that even if you throw it on the ground it's not coming out and that's what her aim is and that's what my aim is to help her. Yes, I'm very lucky. I have Ralphie still here. So how and I can do amazing stuff with my platform. But there is children who have died and there is children who shouldn't have died. And we need to do what we can as mothers, as fathers, grandparents, you know, child practitioners. There's so many of us who this could affect. It might not affect you today. It might not affect you tomorrow. But one day down the line, it could do. It happens so easily. So if everyone's going to sign it, that and would be amazing. Can, and where can where can listeners um, go and sign it? So I think it is on change.org. I will send you the link. And it's Harper Lee's button battery petition off the top of my head, I think. That's okay. We'll put it in, um, we'll put it in our um, bio, um, I suppose. Yeah. On, on, so when it takes two minutes. Two minutes, and that's how quickly a child, your child's life can change. Two minutes, that's it. No, that is so fantastic. Thank you so much. And also, well done, Stacey. Um, you know, what you're doing is amazing. As a mum with three kids, you know, my youngest boys are three and five. You know, listening to this, it's hitting home. You know, I can't think of how many toys they've had or have had over the, the past year. So, you know, amazing stuff, Stacey. And well done, Holly, for using your platform and, and your voice to speak up. So thank you so much. You know, you've spoken about bipolar. You've spoken about mental health. You've spoken about PND. And for anyone listening, that's postnatal depression. And it's something that I know with your platform, you're, you know, you're real, you're really passionate about lifting the lid up on what that actually is and what that means to you as a mother. Um, what does it mean when we talk about bipolar and motherhood? What does that look like? And I want to fast forward before we get into that. When did you first find out that you had bipolar? Like what were the, the signs and how does that impact your everyday life? So I was 15 when I was diagnosed bipolar. So I was under CAMS, which is obviously the Children and Adolescent Mental Health, um, Health Service. So we're going back what, 13 years ago when I actually got diagnosed, but I've been with them since I was 12. So, like I said, I was always that weird ginger funny girl with a wonky eye. <laughs> I wasn't like the other kids. And my mum always used to say, oh, she's, she's just quirky. <laughs> she's just quirky. 
It's like when she goes, no, she's not ginger, she's strawberry blonde. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I love your hair. I love the colour, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, the roots are coming through, but if anyone asks, this is natural. Yeah, yeah. yeah Same with my darling. face. My face is all natural. We had of no course, work of course, done darling. Of course, darling. Of course. <laughs> so I started with them when I was 12. So I'd always been a bit weird, a bit different. Um, and it wasn't until I think you know, I started my periods quite young, I was 10, 11, and then there was a massive change in me, you know, it was just kind of things that I was in a small primary school, small Catholic primary school, I was very lovely kids, um, everyone liked me, you know, I got along with everyone, went to secondary school, and everything changed, I was that naughty kid, I was setting fire to things, I was back chatting, I was throwing things, at you. I was getting into fights, um, you know, very promiscuous um, and just kind of out of the normal things that the other teenage girls were doing. So the school got involved and they were like, yeah, she's not weird and quirky anymore. <laughs> she, she, we need to get this one a bit of help. So, you know, a lot of um, services got involved with me. So it went on for years and then by the time I was 15, it was manic depression then. So I got diagnosed with manic depression, put on antipsychotics at the age of 15. Um, now fast forward 10 years that would never happen that would never ever happen they would never be putting a 15 year old on antipsychotics because I wasn't psychotic I was you know a 15 year old girl who was hormonal I had a mental health condition I had a chemical imbalance I had a traumatic childhood you know I had a lot of traumatic things happen to me that they do say yes can trigger bipolar but the thing with bipolar is it's a chemical imbalance in the brain it happens it's hereditary we think my granny has it who I lived with um you know nothing can nothing can cure it nothing can stop it it's just all about managing it so I carried on with these antipsychotics for a couple of years and then I think I turned about 17 18 and I was like they're not for me it's not working and since the age of 17 18 I've just been self-managed with my bipolar and don't be wrong it's not like what you see on EastEnders I don't you know, with EastEnders, yes, okay, they do amazing storylines, but I don't start jumping and seeing stuff like, you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, and then obviously being a mum, when I was pregnant with Albie, mental health team kind of went, oh, yeah, you're fine, you're self-managed, and just left me to it. And it wasn't until, I think, six months I started showing signs. No, I think as soon as I had him, I started showing signs of post depression, so I wouldn't let anyone else hold him um I breastfed him so nobody else could feed him it was the point I loved him so much I couldn't love anybody else I couldn't even imagine loving anybody else you know it completely ruined my and Tom's relationship um because I just had so much love and when you already have a mental health issue when you add hormones and postnatal depression into that it's a recipe for disaster it's you know one of the most horrific things I went through one of the most horrific things I put my family through I was so unwell and had you know the mental health team gone right okay yeah again nothing against the NHS that overworked understood you name it have they've gone right we have a young mum who has a very large history of mental health yes she might be self-managed but we need to think of after she gives birth because once you give birth your hormones just go all over the gaff regardless if you've got mental health or not you find me one mum who is saying after giving birth no I've, I've never been saying <laughs> I'm, I'm just about getting my sanity back now <laughs> I don't think I'll ever get mine you know so I got diagnosed August 2017 with delayed um, PND and postpartum psychosis so it'd be things like I would see Albie dead so he was dead in front of me but he wasn't and I so knew you would actually so when you say you would see this this wasn't a dream like literally you would look at your son as if yeah wow and he he was dead so I would get and I'd start screaming be like he's dead like and I'd had to like move him he could be so in my head I knew he was asleep but he was dead and my brain was like your child's dead your child's dead um and it was just things like that and it got to the point where I loved him so much and then I didn't love him I didn't want to be a mum I didn't want to be with him I didn't want to be with Tom I wanted my life back you know I was a 22 year old girl who went from 
going around the world, you know, having a really good job, really good career to I'm in charge of this other person and this is fucking terrifying. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So it went on for a couple of maybe about six months and I, you know, got progressively worse. It's things like I attacked my own mum. Um I was going to drive into a wall, you know, just really reckless things that I was doing, really putting myself in danger, putting everyone around me in danger because in my head, these things were saying like what I was doing was okay because in my head, I could see my son dead. So you can imagine when I'm like driving and I'm like, I'm going to drive into that wall. Do you know what I mean? In my yeah. head, that's the same thing to do. Yeah, yeah, because your son's not, your son's not there and you're thinking you've lost everything. Yeah. And there's nothing more to live for. And it was just, you know, it wasn't until I had a breakdown in Zara. <laughs> so Albie was 14 months. And this I didn't strap him into the buggy because I wasn't thinking straight. I was thinking about going into Watford. And I can't remember what I was thinking about going to get. But I must have needed something. I was so determined to get it. I didn't strap him into the buggy. And I went down the steps and he fell out and fell onto the um, marble floor and smacked his head. And that just, you know, triggered a lot. I started screaming, pulling my hair out in the middle of Zara. I was like, uncontrollably shaking. No one helped me. Everyone just looked at me, started laughing at me. I was on the floor, like, rocking backwards and forth. I was and just, what about Albie? Did it, didn't anyone even come to pick him up or anything? No, people just literally walked past. We're in Zara, for goodness sake. <laughs> no, I know. But, you know, there's something about humanity, you know, if you see a mum and a child, do you know what I mean? I, you know, whether you're in Zara, whether you're in Bond Street, or whether you're, you know, in a normal high, like a, a local high high street store, um, yeah, it just says a lot about humanity when when I hear things like that. And it that was kind of a moment for me that was really kind of I need to get help. So I remember they finally brought me into the back. The security guard picked everything up after I screamed at him. So I just started screaming at everyone, like, why are you laughing at me? Why aren't you helping me? Why is nobody, like, I, I, did, I couldn't understand that, you know, there was this mum on the floor crying, her son was crying, and no one was doing anything. So it wasn't until I lost it, and then I remember I called Tom, and I was like, you need to take me to hospital, I'm really not very well. Um, so that night I went and got help, and they were like, you have delayed postnatal depression and psychosis um so yeah and then and, and, and can I ask as well for any listeners listening in how long can this postnatal depression and um post postnatal psychosis I believe that's the name yeah yeah how long can it take to crop up so for you that was 14 months down the line yeah you know, when it when it and and I say 14 months down the line not when it appeared because it probably appeared before then but when it got to a stage where it's so uncontrollable can it happen at two? Can it happen at three? Can it happen at It can happen months? whenever. And again, we're programmed to believe that postnatal depression is baby blues and you'll get over the baby blues and everyone cries after giving birth or, you know, and there's so many kind of, well, no, nobody wants to hold their baby after giving birth because you've got baby blues. And we need to get rid of this stigma of baby blues or even you know, loving your child so much that you don't want somebody else to hold it because it can start straight away or it can happen 14 months later. It can happen two years later. Even now, I have days where I'm like, is this postnatal depression or is this, you know, my mental health? Ralphie's going to be two in August. And I do, the other week, I had to call the crisis team because I was like, I don't know if this postnatal depression, I don't know if it's my bipolar, I don't know what this is. And we need more women, you know, to speak about it and I think again like I said the stigma is the fear of social services taking away your children because if you're not that perfect mum then for some reason everyone believes they're just going to come take your children they're not the enemy they're not but we as mothers need to like you said we need to lift each other up we need to make other mums glow so if you've got a friend who's just given birth and you think oh you know go around, go let her nap. If she doesn't want to leave her baby, fine, clean the house for her. You know, yeah. we've got to stop doing this kind of thing. Well, she didn't text me. Yeah, yeah. Or she doesn't want me around. Okay, send her a just eat. Do... Exactly. Yeah, you send me <laughs> a just eat. I'm going to be pretty happy with you. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And like I said, it can start from straight away. It can start to two years later. It could... You know, a mother, you 
postnatal doesn't just end straight away it goes on forever postnatal is after giving birth and it doesn't matter if you had your child five minutes ago or five weeks ago five months ago if you do not feel like something's right go to your doctors if you're not being listened to your doctors go to the mental health team there's so many platforms out there now talk you know there's um some amazing nominees I think you had last year Eve you know oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) does amazing incredible work about postnatal depression um I can't remember what it's called now but you know there there's so many platforms on Instagram even if you don't want to go to doctors strangers online can be your best friends sometimes (laughs) yeah well Eve a big shout out to Eve um love it yeah perinatal she's part of the perinatal mental health partnership as well um so you can check them out on on Instagram, um, I believe. So yeah, a big shout shout out. She does a lot of work around um, maternal mental health as well. You know, she's spoken a lot about the intrusive thoughts that come with postnatal depression or psychosis, stuff that, you know, nobody I've ever seen speak about before. But what I wanted to ask though, I mean, I know you said like you, you showed a real good timeline of obviously from when you were young, to them being pregnant and that delayed um, d- diagnosis. At what point, and I know you've spoken really high, highly of the NHS and mental health teams. One of the questions though that I ask is that, what support do you feel that you should have had? Because I feel like you were very proactive in saying, I think I need the help, but you were already known to services, right? What do you think could have been done differently to support you from a kind of a proactive angle? I mean, so when I had Ralphie, they were on the ball. I was having Zoom meetings every week. Again, we were in a lockdown. They did not stop from the minute I told them I was pregnant to quite a while after I gave birth. You know, the support was just so different from being a mum who, you know, first time around, oh, she's got bipolar, she's self-managed, she'll be fine. I think... You know, as somebody who has a previous history of mental health, that should that help should have been there straight away. They should have had. So ours is called the, I want to say Bluebell team or something like that. Um, so they're the mental health team in our community. They shouldn't have just dismissed me. You know, the warning signs were there. My health visitor who came to see me six months after having Ralphie said, I think you've got postnatal depression. What did she do about it? Nothing nothing mm. I think it's so easy to sign a form and go oh yeah I feel a bit sad and then look at it and go oh yeah I think you're a bit sad but again baby blues I don't feel like health visitors are trained enough in mental health I feel like they're trained you know to see signs so many other signs but the mental health side where you know so many women die after giving birth not from giving birth but from mental health and I don't know if it's they don't want to do the paperwork. I don't know what it is, but I do think if a woman has a history of, you know, mental health, there should be more services there. You know, even if it's signposting them to an Instagram, it's sometimes easier to speak to a stranger than it is, you know, a healthcare professional because you do have that fear of, oh my God, are they going to report on social services? And I think that is the problem. We need to get rid of that stigma. And I like the fa- I like the way you said about the signposting. Um, when because I was going to ask you, you know, my next question was going to be so, what does good look like? You know, what does? This is such an important conversation that we're having here. You know, really, really, really important. Um, and what does good look like? We know what we should have done. What would you have expected to see? And what I mean by that is, let's say your health visitor came in at six months and said, right it looks like you have postnatal depression. Should it be, does that look like, I don't know, an hour counselling session a week? Does it look like having a support worker who is saying, look, Monday there's swim club, Tuesday there's podcasts, Wednesday there's, I don't know, Instagram lives talking about um, bipolar. Maybe there's a bipolar and mum support group. Like, what do you think as as somebody who's had mental health challenges in in the past and then now as a mum and then obviously you're now two years in with your second son what would have made a difference to you with your first born? you know I didn't 
I didn't want to do, you know, go to the doctors because that would mean phoning them up, stuff like that. But they said to me, right, we've got a group for mums who are all, you know, maybe have postnatal depression or have some kind of mental health where you can all meet up in a safe space and talk about it. How amazing would that be to go and talk to like-minded people who go, I, I can't do this today. And, you know, okay, yeah, you might think, right, I can't trust them with my baby, but there might be workers in that place who you can text and be like, please, can you come around and help me? Or, you know, just signposting you again, like I said, or just, you know, a number you can call. Because that's what I didn't have. I didn't have a number that I could, could just call and just go, oh, I'm really struggling today. I really... I'm scared for myself. I'm scared for my son because you don't want to call your family because you're scared of the judgment. I didn't want to call my family. Um, You know, groups, Instagram, social media, there's so much more than what, when I had Albie six years ago, you know, we have so much more stuff. So we're so accessible to so much. And I just feel like the NHS could use these amazing platforms and it also takes a bit of workload of them because a lot of these people volunteer as well. Yeah. So you, so do you feel that social media um, and kind of this whole digital platform, do you feel that it actually positively impacts your mental health? Obviously, we, we put the trolls aside. Absolutely. But, you know, you self-manage yourself now. You self-manage yourself. Do you feel that part of that self-management comes because you can go onto an Instagram page and be like, you know what, let me put hashtag bipolar mums and see what comes up and see who's doing doing what on that. What impact do you think that has on you? I mean, there's so many mums that, who I never knew had bipolar until they messaged me and said, oh, I've got bipolar, so I want to do it. And just being able to talk to them and just, you know, these girls I've never met in my life, we could both be having a really bad day, never met them, FaceTime them. And just talking to each other, again, like I said, yes, you get the worst part of Instagram or social media, but there is, it has done amazing things for me and it's done amazing things for other women. And I think a community like Glow Mama can help show other mums that there is communities like this. It's not all perfect Instagram. There's so many people out there just like you, just like me. And we can use this and do something amazing with it. We can change the world for our children. So when they grow up, if they do have mental health, we can be pioneers that change that for them. You know, and not just have the NHS service. You know, I love all, I love doing charity work. Yes, don't get paid for it. But is there any greater feeling than knowing that you've come away? Probably like you had after the awards, knowing that you've just made a few women's night, not even, you know, I'm just coming away from that thinking wow I done that I done that. yeah no you know me already. I mean I yeah I and that to me that isn't worth more than any payment anyone can yeah. give me just knowing that I've impacted another mum's life and you know she's going away and glowing so I completely relate to what you're saying and you're right there's so many amazing mothers um doing amazing things out there for so many different topics so you know, mental health has got a vast different, you know, there's so much within mental health. And when if we're looking at bipolar specifically, and it's how can we amplify those type of mothers? So for those kind of quieter mothers that don't even really know about social media, they can see them and know where to go and get that support. So it's not just clinical. Clinical is one solution, but from what you're saying, it's like there should be clinical, but in addition to clinical, having that peer-led, you know, that relational-led uh, and being connected with other mothers, you know, in a similar, um, that are living it, not just, oh, I've done six years studying it, that are living yeah. it and breathing it and have gone through it, that has also had a positive impact. On and this what I mean, you can call a helpline and you know the person behind that phone is getting paid. They're getting paid to mm-hmm. go, oh, we had a cup of tea and a biscuit. You, we don't want that. As a mother, I want someone who's going to go, yeah it's fucking shit right what are we gonna do to make this better is a glass of wine gonna help no is i don't know going for what putting your headphones in here's a podcast you know things like that that you know they mean it because sometimes when you do go to the doctors they just go have have some tablets that will make you feel better we we don't want that as women with bipolar as mothers with bipolar we we can't you know i've said nothing's gonna cure it nothing's gonna change it but we want to help it I, d- I don't want medication. I don't want mood stabilizers because that takes away my spark. That takes away who I am. I'm Holly. 
with the multiple personalities. I'm Holly with bipolar. I'm Holly with the wonky eye. And that makes me me. And I don't want you to just go, oh, here's some tablets that will make you feel better. Do you know what I mean? I want to talk to people like me who can go, oh, do you know what? I'm really manic today or I'm really depressed. I can't get dressed and not have that judgment of, yeah, but you've got kids. You do not get up and get dressed for them. Do you know what I mean? I just yeah. think in 2022, we can just do so much better. No, I think yes, yes, yes to that. So if there's a mum out there with bipolar listening, what would you like to say to her? And what would you have liked someone to tell you? You're not a bad mum. You're not a bad mum because of the chemical imbalance in your brain. You're not a bad mum. Yes, you might have bad days. Yes, you might have good days. But you're no different from the mum next door who has no mental health because she's going to have as many bad days as you are. Yes, hers might not be as intense as yours, but it, it does get better. And even when you're at the worst point where you think, I cannot do this anymore, I'm not doing these kids any good, I shouldn't be a mother, I never should have chosen to. When you come out of that and you remember that you're showing your children that you can still be a decent person, you could, regardless of your mental health, I just think I feel better knowing I'm a mum with bipolar because I, you know, I've gone over all the hurdles. I've got past that. Well, she's definitely going to have a breakdown or she's going to end up in, you know, a um, baby unit, which I think a lot of people thought I would do. And there's nothing wrong with that. They do amazing things. But even if you do, so what? It, it's not that bad. It's better. You're putting your, you're putting your child first. And I think that's what people need to remember. Mums with bipolar aren't like what you see on EastEnders. It's not like Stacey and Jean. It's not, you know, fighting in the street and all these ridiculous things they come out with with normal people just with a chemical imbalance. And it makes it a bit more difficult for us, but it also makes us a bit more spicy. <laughs> yep, yep. And Holly has got a whole heap of spice. We can definitely agree to that. Um, I mean, it's been so amazing speaking to you Holly I mean we're definitely gonna have to have you back definitely. on because I don't think I don't even think we've we've covered so much and there's so <laughs> many questions that I have for you um and you know you've spoken about you know bad mum's brunch club right and how often do you do them as well oh when my bipolar is really good <laughs> I'm doing them in Watson at the moment just because it's convenient for me. I'm seeing, I'm still, you know, I'm only in my third one now. Um, yeah. Man, woman, whatever you are, I don't care if you're an alien, you can come. It's not just for mums. It's for people who want to behave badly, want to have a good time. If you want to come in Crocs, if you want to come in a juicy couture track suit, you do you, boo. We just want people to be comfortable, be themselves and behave badly without any judgment and the only reason it's called the Bad Mums Brunch Club is, again, because I was fed up of people saying you're a bad mum for having a life. And that can go to right. anyone. People might think you're a bad person because your lifestyle doesn't fit their criteria. So we're open to a fun bottomless brunch. Well, it's not brunch. It's pizza and chips and free booze. <laughs> <laughs> because the drunk you well, are, the less you forget what I've said to you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> No, thank you so much. So everyone, you've heard about that Bad Mum Front Club. Where can people follow you and find you at? So obviously, Badly Behaved Mum. Um, that's my normal page where I'm the hilarious girl with the wonky eyes. <laughs> and that's on Instagram, That is, right? and on TikTok, I'm just Holly Sinead. Um, Really starting to regret that now because people keep finding my Facebook and I'm like, how have you found? And I'm like, oh, TikTok. <laughs> and then obviously the Bad Mum Brunch Club is on Instagram and TikTok. Okay, so before you, before we end um, this this amazing, amazing conversation, uh, <laughs> I'll let you get that out of the way. Um, I would really love for you to describe what it means to be a glow mama in three words. To be a glow mama is empowering, to be noticed and grateful. Thank you. Thank you. So thank you so much. Thank, <laughs> no, thank you, you for so much, honestly. No, you haven't. I feel like this conversation has been so rich. I've learned so I feel much. Like I've honestly, had therapy. Like, 
<laughs> no, well, you know, and this is what we're talking about, actually being in a safe space to be able to have a conversation. Yeah. Um, it's so important and we all want to be heard and listened to. And for me, you know, I've seen you and I know you as, um, you know, our Glow Mama nominee, funniest mama, but actually having this conversation, I came into this thinking I want my my listeners and viewers and our community of motherhood to get to know you more. But actually, for me, this has been a journey for me. I feel like I've got to know you so much more. And there's so, I mean, yeah, I've got to know you in such a different way. And there's so much, there's so much richness to you. And I just want you to know, don't ever change. I know you're never going to change anyway. I can't, it's a chemical imbalance. It's a chemical imbalance, but I just want to reaffirm that because, you know, we're in a society where people can sit behind a screen and say whatever they want to say. And, you know, for us that are getting to know you on a deeper level and actually I've been able to physically touch you and speak to you, we're knowing who Holly is and just, you know, keep showing up unapologetically as yourself because it's not even just about you, it's about all those other mothers that are out there that might not have the confidence that you have but through seeing you, you're giving them that confidence. And it's what I said at the Glow Mama Awards that a lot of people, you don't realise when you're doing those posts, how much you're saving and impacting other people's lives. So do it for yourself, but also with a whole heap um, of, of, um, of mothers, of women, and even fathers, men, young, old, that are cheering you on. I just burped again. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. And hopefully people realise I'm not just always that funny gal. There is a lot of reason behind why I have my Instagram, why I started it. And as much as I like to be funny and, you know, make people's day, there's so much more behind me than, like I said, that weird girl with a wonky eye. <laughs> Thank you so much. No, there really, really is. And we're just, we're so lucky to have you. Um, so thank you so much for listening to the Mama Magic podcast brought to you by the glow mama awards please share and rate this podcast and follow us on social media which is glow mama uk on instagram and if you want to keep up to date with all things glow mama head to www.glowmamaawards.com and remember it's glow without the w and over on our website you can sign up to our free newsletter which is coming out quarterly so Stay tuned and thank you, Holly. And thank, thank you, Agnes. Love you. Nom, 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 nom. Stay spicy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, baby. Bye.